Well, good morning. Welcome to Sunday morning service. We're going to start with number 113, Rock of Ages. We'll sing all three verses of number 113. Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. Could my tears forever flow? Could my zeal no longer know? These for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. In my hand no price I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. While I draw this fleeting breath, when my eyes shall close in death, when I rise to worlds unknown, and behold thee at thy throne, rock of ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Well, praise God this morning that Christ is our rock. He's our rock for difficult times like this. He is our rock uh, of ages. He's our rock of all times. He's there for us. He's unchanging. He's a firm foundation. And that's what's going to get us through trials like this uh, as believers. Uh, thank you for joining us this morning for our live stream morning worship service. Um, if you were uh, here for 10 o'clock Sunday school this morning, you know that uh, we're finishing some things up today. Uh, we finished the book of 1 Thessalonians in the 10 o'clock hour, and uh, this over the course of this morning and this evening, uh, our 6 o'clock service, we'll finish, uh, Lord willing, the book of 2 Corinthians. So try to be with us uh, for the duration this morning as well as in the 6 o'clock service tonight. Um, I have no doubt that'll be a, a help and encouragement to all of us. Let's go ahead and open in prayer this morning. Father, I thank you, Lord, so very much for our church. Uh, Lord, we uh, thank you for the technology that allows us to keep preaching and uh, teaching your words to our members uh, and to others. Lord, I pray this morning that um, you would continue to have your hand upon us. Uh, Lord, we are affected by the trial that has um, encompassed the world this morning. Father, I pray this morning that the effect it has upon us would be a positive one, a biblical one, one of uh, responding to trials in a Christ-honoring way, one of turning to you, Lord, one of trusting you, Lord, of being a people who always seek you in the face of trials. And Lord, where there is a need for repentance and humility before you, I pray that you would humble us, that you would... Uh, cause us to turn from the sin that remains in our lives, and Lord, that you would give us your grace and your strength to walk according to truth as your word teaches. Father, I pray this morning that we'd be built up in your words, that we'd be encouraged this morning as we uh, see the final passage in the book of 2 Corinthians across these next two services. Lord, give us a heart to receive your words. Give us a heart to uh, to hear them and to get them into our hearts and minds. And 
Lord, give us a heart and a mind to be yielded to the Spirit to know exactly how you'd have each of us to apply these thy words. Lord, as we sing this morning, first I pray that people would sing. Uh, I pray, Father, that uh, people who receive our emails would download the song sheets and, and sing out loud uh, at home. And uh, Lord, that they would not neglect to worship you uh, in song just because we cannot be together. Uh, Lord, I pray people would uh, sing of you and to you with, with a confident joy this morning. And Lord, that you would be pleased by that. Father, I love you. I thank you. I pray all of these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your song sheet if you have it. We'll turn now to 479. I am resolved. We'll sing number 479, I am resolved. We'll sing the first, the third, and the last. If I am resolved, first, three, and five. I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delight. Things that are higher, things that are nobler, these have alert my sight. I will hasten to him, hasten so glad and free. Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to thee. And the third, I am resolved to follow the Savior, faithful and true each day. Heed what he saith, do what he willeth, he is the living way. I will hasten to him, hasten so glad and free. Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to thee. I am resolved, and who will go with me? Come, friends, without delay. Taught by the Bible, led by the Spirit, will walk the heavenly way. I will hasten to him, hasten so glad and free. Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to thee. Amen. And we'll take our hymn sheets and go to number 375. Number 375 will sing, It is well with my soul. The first, the third, and the last of number 375, It is well with my soul. Like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul, it is well. With my soul, it 
It is well, it is well with my soul. And the third, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. And Lord, haste the day when my face shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. Take your Bible this morning, please, and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 is the final chapter uh, of Paul's second inspired letter to the church there at Corinth. Uh, as you're turning there, uh, just a quick note on the last hymn, uh, It Is Well, we've mentioned many times uh, over the years. The writer of that great hymn, Horatio Spafford, wrote that. He penned those words, It Is Well with my soul, uh, I understand, uh, and if I recall correctly, he, he penned those words just after he lost uh, his family at sea uh, as they were sailing uh, across the sea. A great storm came up, and he, uh, he lost his family as a result of that, and as he reflected on uh, what had happened and as he sought comfort uh, in Christ in the face of great tragedy, uh, he recognized that he had found comfort indeed, and therefore all was well uh, in his soul. I thank you, Lord, today that the same comfort that was available to Horatio Spafford in his day is available to your people like us in this day. Lord, help us to be a people who seek your comfort at a difficult time uh, like this. So 2 Corinthians this morning, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 13 uh, recall uh, two Sundays back, I preached two messages on Paul's example of remaining faithful to minister uh, in the face of difficulties, and, and we looked at, at how he did that. Uh, this morning, here in chapter 13, he is winding down the book, and uh, he will be reminding them of how he has approached them and uh, the strength with which he has approached them. Uh, he'll be uh, issuing some, some biblical warnings this morning, uh, but not stopping there, also showing them how they can avoid the consequences uh, of not receiving the correction that Paul is offering from the Lord. Now, of course, we understand this morning that Paul was writing specifically to the church at Corinth, 
uh, and regarding uh, a sin situation in that church and God's answer to the sin situation in that church at Corinth. Uh, but Brother Ray, we understand as well this morning that the Lord has seen fit to uh, give these words by inspiration and to inspire, uh, to preserve them, I mean to say supernaturally, uh, to add them to the can of Scripture, to the Bible, uh, because the problems that we see in the church at Corinth are problems that still exist in churches today. And the answers that God gave to the problems at the church of Corinth are still God's answers for churches today. Uh, and so we understand that these were God's words for the church at Corinth and that these are God's words for churches like ours uh, some 2,000 years later. So uh, we take great care this morning to understand that uh, these words are given to us and they are relevant to us and that it behooves us to receive God's answers to the challenges uh, that our church and the individual members of our church face and deal with and are confronted uh, with, just, just like was the case uh, in Paul's day. Uh, take your Bible, please. Uh, I want to read through uh, the final chapter. It's uh, 14 short verses. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13 this morning, beginning in verse 1, Paul writes this. He says, this is the third time I'm coming to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. I told you before and foretell you as if I were present the second time and being absent now, I write to them which heretofore have sinned and to all other that if I come again, I will not spare. Verse three, he continues, since ye seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, or through me, which to you word is not weak, but is mighty in you. For though he was crucified through weakness, voluntary weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Verse 5, Paul writes uh, under inspiration, God's words, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith, prove or test your own selves, Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. But I trust, verse 6, that ye shall know that we are not reprobates. Now I pray to God that ye do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that ye should do that which is honest, though we be as reprobates. For we could do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. Verse 9, Paul continues, For we are glad when we are weak, and ye are strong. And this also we wish, even your perfection. Therefore, verse 10, I write these things being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness, according to the power which the Lord has given me to edification and not to destruction. Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect, be of good comfort. Be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. Greet one another with an holy kiss. All the saints salute you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. This morning I'll, I'll begin the first of a two-part message. We'll plan, Lord willing, to complete this message in the six o'clock hour uh, later today. 
Uh, but we see here this morning, uh, this morning, Paul's correction, uh, some final statements regarding Paul's correction uh, of the church at Corinth. And over the course of these two messages, uh, I want to give you seven W's this morning, seven W's uh, that, that reveal to us how the Lord had Paul to approach the correction of the church uh, at Corinth. And uh, we'll take care this morning to see how these things apply uh, to us in our day as well. Now let's, let's bow our heads and pray quickly and we'll jump right into the, the first half or so of this message. Father, thank you this morning. Thank you for these words. Uh, Lord, they're your words. And uh, I, I continue to marvel this morning at what an amazing privilege it, ha- it is uh, to be able to hold your words in our hands and to have a, a wonderfully accurate translation of your preserved words in our King James Bible. Lord, I continue to marvel at what a privilege it is to teach and to preach your words. And Lord, I pray this morning that each one listening now would treat it as the, the privilege it is to hear your words. Uh, Lord, to know that these are the words of the creator of all things. Uh, a God who loves us enough to send his only begotten son to die in our place that we might be saved from the consequence of our sin, the consequence of God's wrath at our sin, the consequence of his justice. Lord, thank you this morning for these, your words. I pray that we would just have a heart to take them in now, to grab onto them, uh, to get them down on paper, to make some notes, some things that we can refer back to and be reminded by Uh, as we um, face trials in our own lives. Uh, Father, I pray that we would view these thy words as correction, uh, instruction, and and help and encouragement this morning also. Lord, help me now. I most definitely need your help as I preach and teach this morning. Lord, work here in this time, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So I hope you do have your Bible open this morning. Uh, encourage you to always have a Bible open as you're hearing, preaching, and teaching. Uh, I try to be a trustworthy teacher and preacher of God's words, uh, but I want to take care uh, to remind you to be comparing what I say to what God has said uh, in his word. Uh, Have a heart to receive the preaching and teaching, but always be comparing it to what the Bible actually does say. I'll give you four points this morning. It'll be the uh, first four of seven W's W's that I'll give you today. Let's just jump right in now. So uh, here in uh, 2 Corinthians 13, final chapter of the book, uh, I want you to see this. In correcting the church, Paul employed uh, biblical principles. Uh, He employed the biblical principles that uh, he had from the Old Testament. Of course, he employed the words in in the letters that he received from God and penned down and sent to them. Uh, But but part of his uh, process and part of that which God worked in and through was Paul's knowledge of the words of God that had been inscripturated in the Old Testament uh, leading up to or, or, or before Paul's day. So uh, I want you to see here specifically in correcting the church, Paul employed the biblical principle of multiple witnesses. Witnesses is your uh, first W this morning. Now, let's, let's see this. See verse 1, please. He says, this is the third time I am coming to you, y'all. Uh, and, and it says this, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, uh, shall every word be established. 
Uh, he says, this is the third time I'm coming to you. Uh, he may be referring to his third attempt to visit them. I rather think he's saying this is the third time that he's written to them. Now, Brother Ray, we know he's, he's only written inspired letters to them twice. We have 1 Corinthians, and here we're at the end of 2 Corinthians. But uh, there's other allusions to Paul perhaps having written to them before letters that were not inspired the same way we might send a letter or write an email to each other today. Those aren't uh, inspired uh, letters that we would send or inspired notes. So uh, it's, it's, it's possible that Paul might be referring to a third letter that was not inspired. In any event, uh, he goes on to write, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, we know there's two inspired letters because we have them, this being a second one, in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. Now, uh, you may know, but let's be reminded this morning, he's referring to a biblical principle that God had established all the way back in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 19 and verse 15. Uh, there the Lord was laying down his law, uh, his rules uh, by which the children of Israel were to be governed. Uh, he, he, he laid down this this principle that when someone was accused of something, uh, they, 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 one witness was not going to be enough. One witness could be wrong, but if there were two or three witnesses, uh, the truth would be confirmed through two or three witnesses. Uh, there in Deuteronomy 19, the Bible says, one witness shall not rise up against any man for any iniquity uh, or for any sin uh, in any sin that he sinneth. At the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses, uh, shall the matter be established. Now, you well know this morning that you might be accused of, of some one person for some wrong thing uh, when, in fact, you were not guilty of that. But if there were multiple witnesses from different perspectives uh, who saw the same thing, who were able to give testimony of guilt, well, then guilt is established through this uh, idea of multiple witnesses. And, of course, this principle is one that is employed, it's utilized in courtrooms even today. So this biblical principle, uh, the world has recognized the, the utility of, of this principle uh, and employs it today. Well, uh, Paul is bringing this principle into uh, how he has approached the church. The church at Corinth had sin. Uh, they, they, uh, he was accusing them of having sin that they had not dealt with, and he's written to them not once, not just that one witness, but he's written to them two uh, and possibly even three times uh, to deal with, to witness to them the fact that there was, there was sin in the church that needed to be uh, corrected. So uh, he's written more than once to do that, and these uh, these two letters, these two inspired letters, serve as witnesses that testify uh, not only to their sin, but also to the Holy Spirit-given, Holy Spirit-inspired solution uh, to their sin. Now, turn over to, well, you don't have to turn there, but if, if you want to, uh, turn over to John 8. I'll leave it up to you. John 8, uh, uh, John 8, uh, beginning in verse 17, Jesus taught this same principle. He employed the same principle of multiple witnesses uh, when uh, people were called to evaluate his claim to be the son of God. He said, listen, uh, you don't have to take just my word for it. Uh, Jesus told the Pharisees, he says there in John, uh, it is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. He says, I am one 
that bear witness of myself, uh, and the Father that sent me beareth witness to me. Uh, Jesus taught there that his own testimony, combined with the testimony of the Father, establishes that he is God the Son. And you recall, indeed, there at his baptism uh, in Matthew 3, Jesus stood in the water and uh, he had given a, a testimony about who he was, um, that, that had been the case. Uh, and there the, the, the father was heard speaking from heaven. This is my son uh, in whom my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So uh, Jesus said, listen, you, you, you can listen to what I've said. That's one testimony. You can you listen to what my father said. That's another witness. You recall that at his baptism, the spirit was seen descending as a dove uh, upon him also. That might be viewed as a third witness. So uh, Jesus employed this Old Testament biblical principle of establishing truth. Uh, Paul brings this principle in in dealing with uh, the church at Corinth. Now, now stop and think for a second. Why is it that Paul might bring up this principle in how he's dealing with the church at Corinth? Why, uh, why might he do that? Why would this matter to them uh, at all? Well, I think he, he likely wants to reinforce the idea that his approach to dealing with them, Brother Ray, it's been consistent with the Bible. Uh, it's been consistent with the words of God that had been written down before uh, he wrote to them. He wants them to understand that he's not just making things up as he goes. Uh, yes, we understand the words that he wrote to them were God's words given by the Holy Spirit. Paul uh, had them to be penned down and, and then sent them off. He's been guided by the Spirit in a manner that's consistent with the word of God. Uh, everything that Paul is doing is, is the word of God. Everything that he's writing is the word of God. And everything that he's done, uh, every part of his ministry, including the correction of the individuals in that church that need to be corrected, has been consistent with the word of God and the principles that the Bible uh, lays down. So that's important. That, that's important. Uh, when I correct people in counseling or just in casual discussions, or if, if I'm teaching some correction to our church, I don't, I don't stand up and say, hey, this is what I think you ought to do, and this seems wrong to me, and this is what seems right to you. No, we don't do that, not in our church at least. Uh, I want our church to always be a place where, where people can say, hey, I might not have liked what the pastor taught, uh, but what I know for sure, what I can say for sure that it was the word of God, it was consistent with the word of God. It was consistent with biblical principles that we can see from Genesis all the way through Revelation. And I'm quite sure what we see here this morning is that Paul had the same heart. He wanted people to understand that his correction was right-hearted and that it was biblical and it was guided by uh, biblical principles. Now listen, when you approach correcting someone, uh, whether it's a church member that you want to encourage out of sin in, into obedience, if, if you'll do the same thing, if, if you'll follow God's instructions, if you'll follow the pattern of biblical principles, uh, you can know that the likelihood of success, practically speaking, is going to be dramatically increased. You can know no matter what that you're going to please God and how you approach that potentially difficult situation because you're following his words and you're following the pattern uh, of the principles that he's laid down uh, in his word. Now, this just makes sense to us, right? Brother Ray, we, we understand that uh, sometimes we, we, well, maybe a lot of the time, 
we're not naturally people that want to follow instructions, right? Uh, men, men are especially accused of that, right? If something needs to be assembled, if something needs to be put together, we can figure it out. We, we, we can do that. We don't need to kind of read through word for word, number uh, instruction after instruction. That, that looks hard. We'll, we'll, we'll just figure it out. Uh, I have learned to not try to assemble anything without following the instructions. And uh, honestly, I need to have my wife involved very often uh, in helping to interpret the instructions as well. Uh, we understand that when we don't follow instructions, when we're trying to accomplish something, things don't always go well. Whether you're assembling a cabinet, uh, whether you're making a recipe, uh, instructions and following instructions, uh, that's important uh, and, and, and greatly aids the likelihood or greatly increases the likelihood of a successful outcome. Paul understood that. And he wanted the people in the church, even as he was correcting them for specific things, to understand he's following the pattern of God's word, and he's teaching them to do the same. He's, he's instructing them for specific sin, or correcting them regarding specific sin, but also teaching them the right approach in how they might correct each other going forward. Listen, we need to be people who do the same thing. Uh, whenever there's a decision to be made, whenever there's a, a heart to correct a brother or sister, we, we do well to stop and ask, what does the Bible actually say? Or what, what principle can I mine out of Scripture that, that might guide or instruct or inform how I approach this decision or how I approach correcting uh, my brother or sister or how I approach uh, a trial or a challenge in our home or in our community or with a neighbor, whatever it is, uh, we need to be a people who will stop and pause and think and pray and consider what does the Bible say, what biblical principles does the Bible lay down, and pray the Holy Spirit would guide us in our application of God's words uh, and the principles that they lay down for us. Uh, Paul did that, and he did that specifically, uh, or perhaps by way of example, with regard to uh, sending multiple letters that served as multiple witnesses to the sin that needed to be addressed in that church. Now, secondly, secondly, uh, in correcting them, Paul offered multiple warnings. Uh, so we had, we had witnesses, uh, warnings. Uh, now we see warnings of consequences. We had witnesses to their sin, and now we have warnings of consequences if they would not deal with sin in the church, uh, if, if those that opposed him, and uh, if, if they would not repent, if the church would not deal with sin, uh, there would be consequences. Paul offered multiple warnings of consequences for continuing in sin. We'll see this in verse 2. He says, I told you before uh, and foretell you as if I were present. I warned you before, and I'm warning you now as if I were present the second time. And being absent now, I write to them, that might have been our W, write, but it's not, uh, to them which uh, heretofore have sinned uh, and to all other, that if I come again, I will not spare. He's warning that if he comes, if he arrives there at Corinth, and the church has still not dealt with sin. If, if, if the folks that he's concerned about have not repented, if the church has not confronted them and encouraged uh, the repentance of, of the sin uh, there at church, there will be consequences. There would, there would be a harshness 
uh, from Paul. And, and I think he's alluding to the fact that there'll probably be consequences directly from the Lord. Uh, they, they, they could expect the Lord to lift blessings, and they could expect the Lord uh, to uh, interject or to allow trials, uh, loving but difficult uh, consequences, correction uh, in their lives. Paul warns, he warns of consequences. If I come again, uh, I will not spare. I think I've said this recently, I'll say it again this morning. Sin always has consequences. Uh, you may have uh, plenty of private sin. You may have sin in your heart, in your mind, uh, you may train your thoughts upon uh, lustful things. That, that would be a sinful thing. Remember, you can commit adultery in your heart. You may harbor a sinful anger at someone. You may harbor a spirit of unforgiveness, uh, an unwillingness to forgive those, uh, even those who have sought forgiveness. Uh, you, may, you may have a heart to not be gracious toward people as the Lord has instructed. All of that is sin. It always has consequences. Uh, for the unbeliever, any of those sins will condemn them to hell. But as saved people, uh, people whose sin been covered by the blood of Christ, it still has practical consequences. It affects our walk with Christ. It affects our relationships with each other. Uh, it affects the blessings of God in our life. The Lord corrects his people. It invites his chastisement, as we've seen recently, uh, his correction. Sin always has consequences. It's always known by God. It's never hidden from him, and it always has consequences. Uh, what can you do about that? Well, you can repent of it. Amen, Brother Ray? If there's hidden sin, you, you, you can ask the Lord to help you uh, turn from it, to forsake it, to leave it behind, to put off disobedience, uh, to put on obedience. I don't know what your sin is this morning, but I promise you the Lord does. Uh, I promise you that he does. Now, thankfully, throughout the Bible, we have lots of examples of God being a God who warns his people. He has not left us uh, without warning. Uh, Paul warns the people here he would not hold back from correcting them. Uh, think back to uh, the Garden of Eden in Genesis uh, chapter 2. The Lord, warned, the Lord warned Adam and Eve of consequences if they would disobey the Lord, if they would sin against him. Uh, in Genesis 2, the Bible says the Lord commanded the man, Adam, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest uh, freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt what? Thou shalt what? At home surely die. God lovingly, graciously, justly warns his people uh, of consequences. Uh, later on, the Lord warned the children of Israel of consequence for their sin, uh, for their rebellion against the Lord, for their uh, cozying up to Baal, their idolatry. Uh, God warned them in 1 Kings 17. Uh, the, the Lord testified, the Bible says, against Israel and against Judah by all the prophets. You remember, uh, prophet after prophet after prophet warned the people of great consequences if they would not repent 
if they would not turn from sin. Uh, he did that by the prophets. Uh, the Bible says, by all the seers, saying, turn ye, repent from your evil ways, and keep my commandments uh, and my statutes uh, according to the law which I commanded your fathers, and which I sent to you by my prophets. Notwithstanding, they would not hear, but harden their necks, like the neck of their fathers that did not believe in the Lord their God. And they rejected his statutes and his covenant uh, that he made with their fathers, and his testimonies, which he testified against them. And they fell vanity and became vain and went after the heathen. They followed them and were round about them uh, concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. Uh, and they left all the commandments of the Lord their God and made them molten images, even two calves, and made a grove and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. And they caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire and use divination and enchantments and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah. Only Israel was carried off into captivity. That's a pretty big consequence, Brother Ray. But God warned them and warned them and warned them Turn from sin. Turn back to me. He's a just and loving God who warns people of the consequences uh, for continuing in sin. You know, the Bible, uh, there's all, all kinds of passages, many passages in the Bible today uh, that warn us about how to live our lives and consequences for not heeding the word of God. The Bible warns repeatedly about the consequences of drunkenness. In Proverbs 23, beginning in verse 29, the Bible says, Who has woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. He says, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself all right. That's a, a, a reference apparently to the fermentation process that produces alcohol. Don't even look at alcoholic wine. Uh, at the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder, a poisonous snake. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thy heart shall suffer, uh, shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea. Uh, drowning in a sea of consequences. God warns, he warns, don't do this. There'll be a sea of consequences. You'll, be, you'll find yourself drowning in a sea of consequences. We have a loving, just God who has laid out how to live and how not to live, uh, blessings for obedience and and, and the consequences that he's laid out for disobedience. Of course, today, and perhaps, not perhaps, certainly, most importantly, the Lord warns uh, consequences of consequences for refusing to come to Christ for salvation. All kinds of people are trusting in all kinds of things to make them right with God today. Well, there's only one thing that can make them right with God. That thing's not a thing, it's a person. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son. The Lord warns in his word repeatedly that if people reject Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to come to the Father, there's a very real consequence of a very real hell. Uh, 2 Thessalonians, beginning in uh, chapter 1 and verse 7, the Bible says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us. 
when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction. We mentioned in the 10 o'clock hour that word destruction does not refer to literal uh, death, but to loss of well-being. Uh, with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Listen, the, that's just one passage that warns of the consequence of hell for people that refuse God's way of salvation, of escaping, of being saved from hell. Uh, Jesus Christ, the blood that he shed upon the cross to cover, it's the only way. It's the only way. Uh, if you have questions about that, send me an email, call me, text me. Uh, please reach out to me. Uh, you need to understand that the Bible warns repeatedly of consequences for refusing Christ, that's hell. Of course, the believer has uh, no worries, no concerns about hell, but there will still be consequences, practically speaking, for sin in our lives. Here's the thing, all too often, tell me if this is wrong. You'll have to email me. Uh, email me if this is wrong. It seems to me that all too often we fail to heed God's warnings because we think, well, that's for someone else. Uh, that won't happen to me. Uh, I can drink and there'll be no effect. I can disobey God and, and there'll be no effect. Uh, I can watch pornography at least a little bit. There'll be no effect. We think that the consequences won't happen to us. And yet, if you look at the warnings that God has given throughout his word, uh, we know that the consequences came to pass. Uh, Adam and Eve were warned, and sure enough, they suffered death because of their sin. Uh, and we're in the heap of trouble that we're in today because God pronounced a curse in the face of their sin. It was upon them, it's upon all creation, and we're part of his creation. Uh, sure enough, Israel was carried into captivity for her sin, just exactly as God warned. And let's be clear, those who have died uh, before they accepted Christ, those who refused Christ and then died are in a very real hell today, uh, according to scripture. Uh, they'll remain there until they're judged by God, by Christ at the great white throne judgment, cast in the lake of fire to suffer eternal uh, suffering, eternal conscious suffering. Uh, these things are as certain as the word of God is certain, and it is perfectly certain. God graciously, mercifully, justly warns of consequences. He warns us, do this, don't do that. Not for salvation, well, regarding the gospel for salvation, for sure. Uh, please get this down in your notes. Biblical warnings are designed to help us avoid danger. Biblical warnings are designed to help us avoid uh, real danger, practical consequences. They're given by God graciously. Uh, they're highway signs that warn of danger, uh, highway signs that warn of a road ending or construction. We have no doubt receiving that as important and worthy of being followed. 
Uh, we ignore them only with consequences. God's word is, is, is no less certain. We ignore it only with consequences. Lord, help, me, help us all to get hold of that. Your warnings are to be heeded. We ignore them with certain consequences, just as certain as our salvation is, just as certain as our hope of heaven is. We ignore God's warning only with consequences. Well, I'm thankful this morning that uh, Paul warned and corrected the church there biblically, uh, exercising biblical principles, multiple witnesses, and he warned, just as God had always warned, just as Christ had warned, Paul warned. Warning, warning. Did not stop there, though. Uh, he, was, he was faithful to minister to them by correcting them, despite the fact that it was difficult for him in his, his physical weakness. Uh, he could do this. He could do this because he ministered in the power of God. Now, this, this morning, many of us are struggling. There's uh, all sorts of reasons and coronavirus and other things. There may be many reasons this morning that you're physically weak. It might be illness. It might be age. It might be disability. Uh, maybe it's coronavirus. I don't know. Whatever it is. Uh, many of us are, are struggling this morning with physical weakness. And if we're not careful, um, we are tempted to say, well, I can't, I can't continue on. I can't minister as Paul did. I can't take the words of God, the principles of God's word, and I, I can't warn people about consequences for sin. I, I can't share the gospel. I can't call brothers and sisters in Christ to greater obedience can't do that. I just don't have the strength, pastor, to do that. Well, Paul was in the same place. He was in the same boat. Uh, we are in the same boat uh, with Paul. Re recall, please, all that Paul had suffered. He had suffered mightily uh, throughout his ministry. He had been beaten and stoned and shipwrecked and, and just so many physical things. Paul had been beaten down quite literally, uh, quite physically, um, here we see here that uh, Paul ministered not in his own strength. Uh, he couldn't have, but in his weakness, he ministered in the power of God. Now, see verse 3. Uh, here's the context in which he communicates this truth. There were people, of course, who opposed Paul and sought proof of his authority. He said, since you seek proof of Christ speaking in me, he says, uh, which to you word is not weak, but is mighty. And he said, you've known the power of strength uh, in your own life. Now, the, many of the people that opposed him and uh, were uh, caught up in sin, the church, they were saved people. They had known the power of God in their lives. They knew something of that. So they'll be able to see if, if, if Paul was ministering in that, in that same power. Uh, Paul reminds them, uh, also, in verse 4, that, that Christ was raised by the mighty power of God. I think he offers that as a demonstration of God's power. He, he says in verse 4, For though he, Christ, was crucified uh, through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. Now, don't misunderstand Paul, and please don't misunderstand me. and Don't misunderstand the Lord. Uh, Christ ministered in physical weakness, it was voluntary, right? He, he laid aside his omnipotence as he came to minister, and he ministered through the anointing power of the Spirit of God, 
uh, as an example, right? He was anointed for ministry there at his baptism. He was baptized before he began his earthly ministry. That's an example. But laying aside his power voluntarily and ministering in the power and strength of the Spirit of God, what a wonderful and important example for us. Uh, Paul knew physical weariness and weakness as Christ did, but in that he knew a supernatural enablement and strength from the Lord as Christ did. See, see um, the next, the next verse, he says, For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. And there's a lot here, and I don't want to take the time to dissect that very uh, in much more detail this morning, but the gist of that, those few verses is, again, Paul knew a physical weakness. He knew a weariness, and yet he did not make that an excuse to stop ministering, to stop offering uh, loving encouragement to a greater obedience, to a greater holiness to the people in that church. Now, this is for us this morning. Uh, yes, it was penned to that church in that day, but God has preserved it and added it to the canon of Scripture for us living in this day because we need the same knowledge. Many of us are weakened by different things. Uh, many of us are, and yet we can know a wonderful strength of God to continue ministering however the Lord calls us to do. Please don't forget this also. God will not call you to do something that he will not strengthen you to do. God will not call you to uh, encourage this person or to, to lovingly admonish that person. Uh, he will not uh, call you to demonstrate grace to this person unless he gives you grace, unless he gives you uh, strength to do that. The Lord always gives us what we need to accomplish what he has called us to in his word and the very specific things that he calls us as individuals to in our individual ministries. He is the strength to accomplish that, but you've got to be connected to the strength, right? You've got to be plugged in. Uh, otherwise, we're light bulbs that are unplugged from the wall, have potential to accomplish something useful, but because they lack the power uh, to power them, uh, that potential is not realized. Now, I don't mean to sound like some kind of uh, potential movement guy or anything like that, but you understand uh, what I mean. Uh, that's not psychology. That, that, that's Bible. Bible. That's Bible. That's the Word of God. That's the Bible, His words. We can continue on despite the trials that we face in the world today and the weariness physically that we may experience in the face of these things if we will stay close to the Lord and stay yielded to Him, stay plugged into Him, we can know His power and His strength to continue on. We need to do that. We need to do that. I'll, I'll give you uh, one more point this morning. It's a good place to close and, and will be done. So Paul has reminded them that he's corrected them according to biblical principles, multiple witnesses. He's warned them of consequences for continuing in sin, for not dealing with sin in their personal lives and in their church. He's reminded them as a proof of his authority that he has accomplished all of this, not in his own strength, he didn't have much, 
but in the Lord's strength, the same strength they knew in Christ is how he's approached this. Uh, he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop there. He offers them a solution to their problem. He offers them a solution to their sin problem. He corrected them with uh, God's words. Let's make that our, our last W this morning. Uh, number four, God's words are words of instruction. He didn't just warn them of consequences. He gave them, uh, by God's words, using words that he's received from God, he gave them a solution to their sin problem. There's two things here. We'll see these quickly, and we'll be done for this morning. But please be back tonight at 6, and we'll continue. We'll see three more points, Lord willing, tonight at 6. First thing he says in verse 5, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Uh, prove your own selves. Uh, the first thing was that they didn't stop and examine themselves to see if they were really saved. Uh, Paul looked at the church and he, uh, he saw people there or he heard things about people there that, that caused him to wonder, hey, are these people even really saved? Uh, there's, a, there's consequences for not getting saved. And then there are results of being saved. And you know what? There's, there's biblical proofs of being saved also. Paul had been treated in a very unloving way by, by many, or maybe it would be more fair to say some in the church at Corinth. Uh, he'd been treated in an unloving fashion. Well, Paul understood, and we, and we see in 1 John, that there's lots of evidences of salvation, of having been truly saved. Love is one of them. In 1 John, we, we see that uh, over and over again. Paul, John writes of, of the evidence of love in a believer's life, a, a supernatural ability to demonstrate love uh, to people who are unlovable, practically. Uh, that is an evidence that one has been saved and that they have been indwelt and changed by the Spirit of God uh, and strengthened with the fruit of the Spirit, which include love. Uh, there's evidences. And in the absence of evidences, it is not biblically wrong to wonder, hey, is some, are, are you really saved? I don't see a lot of evidence in your life. So he says, examine yourselves. This is the first thing. This is the foundation. This is the most important thing. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. He says, prove your own selves. Uh, prove or try or test your own selves. Well, we're called to prove or try the spirits to know if our leading as a believer is of the Holy Spirit or of another spirit. He says, prove, try, test your own selves. Well, how would you do that? Well, you would, you would examine your life according to the word of God. Uh, you would get into a book like 1 John and say, hey, uh, are these evidences of salvation, are they present in my life? Well, you'd step back and say, has there been a time when I understood that I'm a sinner and that Christ died for me and that I, I'm, I'm not saved from hell unless I place my faith in what he did for me? That's Bible, of course. Uh, if I place my faith in death, burial, and resurrection of Christ or not, you begin there. But I think beyond that, Paul is asking them to consider, is there proof? Is there evidence uh, are there multiple witnesses to salvation in your life or not? Are you the same person that you used to be? Or are there biblical evidences, multiple proofs, multiple witnesses uh, to your salvation? Before it was to their sin. But does the same thing exist regarding your salvation? 
Can you see biblical evidence in your life that there has been a Holy Spirit-fueled change in your life? Now, there'll be more change if you've been saved for a longer period of time. Uh, sanctification is a process, but boy, the, the moment someone is saved, there, there will be some degree of change uh, if they've been truly saved. And then secondly, and we'll stop here, Paul says, if they were truly saved, they could find power in Christ to turn from their sin. You've been saved, you, you know there's a power, there's a power into salvation. You, you first knew the power of God uh, in the preaching of the gospel and the, and the power of the conviction that I'm a sinner and that Christ is the only way. And you knew the power by which the Lord gave you faith and, and convicted you to place that faith uh, upon Christ. You, so you know the power of God. He says if, if you uh, have examined yourselves and, and you found multiple evidences, you conducted a search and inquiry investigation and you found scriptural evidence of salvation in your life, understand, be reminded that there is a power available to you in Christ to turn away from the sin that he's been witnessing to and, and warning consequences about. There is a power in Christ to turn from that. See the second part of verse 5. He says, Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, grammatically all of them who were saved, uh, except to be reprobate. Let me try that again. Except ye be ret reprobates. Uh, those are rejected ones, castaways. Uh, I believe the word is used here to refer to people who are not saved. He says, if you're saved, you, the, Christ is in you. If you're saved, he's in you. You are in him and he is in you quite literally. And his power is available to you as well. Unless you're retrobate, reprobate, someone who's not saved. He says in verse 6, but I trust that you know that we are not reprobates. We're saved. We are ministering to you in the power of God, despite the fact that you've been unloving toward us, warning you in a way that's been consistent with the word of God, biblical witnesses, warning of consequences, witnessing, warning, writing in the power of God. That same power is available to every person who is truly saved and it now has the power of God to turn from sin. And so whatever sin the Lord may be convicting you of, you don't have to turn away from that in your own power, in your own strength. You can just say, God, I agree with you. You've shown me in your word. You've convicted me in my spirit. This thing is wrong. It's wrong. It's not for me. It offends you. Lord, thank you that yeah, I've examined myself. There's, there's evidence of salvation in my life. I'm in Christ. You are in me. Uh, your power is in me for various reasons, most certainly including enabling me, giving me the power and strength I need to repent, to turn from sin, to avoid the practical consequences of sin in my life. And so I want to ask you this morning, if there's conviction, or whenever there's conviction, please bear that in mind. You're saved. 
The same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to us to help us turn from sin. That's a mighty power. We have a mighty God. We have a God of unlimited power. We have a God who indwells us and who strengthens us not just for ministry, but who strengthens us to turn from sin that offends him and prevents our ministry from being all that it can be. Lord, help me to know your strength to turn from whatever things are offensive to you, whatever things are sinful to you, to not do that in my own strength, but simply to yield to you, to agree with you, and to seek your strength to truly repent, turn, and forsake sinful things for your honor and for your glory. Let's stop there this morning and bow our heads. Father, thank you this morning. Uh, so very much for this passage. Lord, it's important, as all your words are. Father, thank you for Paul's example of being biblical in his approach. Thank you for his example of, of warning people, as, as you warned, that there are real consequences of sin. Uh, hell for the lost person, uh, chastisement or correction for the saved person. Lord Paul uh, ministered in a physical weakness, but in a great power from you. Lord, that same power is available to us, both to minister and to lovingly admonish and correct one another. And when we are the guilty party, to turn from whatever sin you're convicting us of. Lord, I thank you so much for that truth. Truly, we are without excuse for continuing in sin. Father, I pray this morning that we not think, oh, that little sin is, it's okay. Uh, Lord, whatever you may be convicting us of, help us to be quick to turn from it, not in our strength, but in yours. Lord, I thank you this morning for your grace, for your strength. Help us to take full advantage of it for your honor and for your glory. Father, I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being with us this morning. Zach will come and close us in a final song. Uh, he'll dismiss us in prayer. Uh, we'll pick this up, uh, Lord willing, at 6 o'clock this evening. And uh, the, the final set of three W's that we'll see tonight, there'll be strong parallels to those things that we saw in the closing verses of our 10 o'clock message uh, the closing verses of uh, the passage in Thessalonians that we looked at. So that'll, that'll strengthen and, and complement what we saw this morning. So it'll be a good uh, thing to kind of begin and end looking at some of the same things. Uh, that'll be a blessing. That, that'll be a help. Pray that, if you would, please. Uh, be back here tonight at 6 o'clock if you possibly can. Uh, Zach, you come. We'll take our hymn sheets and go to number 565, Send the Light. We'll sing the first and the last of 565, Send the Light. There's a call come ringing o'er the restless wave. Send the light, send the light. There are souls to rescue, there are souls to save. Send the light, send the light. 
Send the light, the blessed gospel light, let it shine from shore to shore. Send the light, the blessed gospel light, let it shine forevermore. Let us not grow weary in the work of love. Send the light, send the light. Let us gather jewels for a crown above. Send the light, send the light. Send the light, the blessed gospel light. Let it shine from shore to shore. Send the light, the blessed gospel light. Let it shine forevermore. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look into your word. Lord, please give us the strength to apply it now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.